The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tanish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tanish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. And they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Good morning, Pathway. Uh, my name is Ryan, and if you were here last week, you'll know it was my birthday on Sunday, just gone, because everyone sang a song and made me feel really loved. <laughs> anyway, I was going to throw Etienne under the bus, because it was actually his birthday just a couple of days ago, but we actually have a far more important birthday than yours, Etienne, and she's actually here with us today, so Alma Grinewald, Nell Grinewald, just Alma, Mum, whatever we call her, welcome Nell, thank you for being here today, making the special trip to Pathway on your 97th birthday, so congratulations on your birthday, Nell. It's good that you're here now, thank you. So, yes, my name is Ryan and we're about to kick, kick off part two of our three-part series this morning. So last week, as Bianca said, we looked at the David and Goliath story. Now this week it's Jonah, and then next week it's Daniel in the lion's den. 
All of these stories are very famous Bible stories. And they're generally talked about in our Sunday school classes or when you're a little kid, you read the little stories. So story, these stories are pretty familiar to most of us, but often they're not explored with a whole lot of depth. Now, it would seem that we're often content with the little illustrated children's Bible story versions of these events. So the purpose of this series is just to dig a little bit deeper, go a little bit further and explore these stories a little differently than you might expect. Also, it's good to have Pathway Kids with us today. Today is what we call a Connect service and uh, I'll do my best to engage you guys throughout the uh, service wherever I can and involve you wherever we can too. So Pathway Kids, hope you're listening. I think you can answer this question. What is the story of Jonah about? Shout it out. Jonah and the whale. Evan, that's what he said. That's good. Does everyone else have any other ideas? Is Jonah about anything else other than a whale? Nineveh. Nineveh, yeah. A dying plant. A dying plant, yep. Yeah. I'm getting, what was that? Yeah, yeah, yep. Good to know. Well, doing what's wrong. Yes, Jonah did do a bit of, bit of wrong stuff in this story, didn't he? But Evan... You've ticked the Pathway Kids box perfectly. Maybe not Pathway, the Sunday School box perfectly. Jonah is often associated with a whale or a fish or a sea creature, right? That's what we know Jonah to be about. So there is a weird story in Jonah about Jonah being swallowed by a fish. But there is a lot, lot more to this story than just that. Now, if you read all the chapters of Jonah, of which there's only four... Uh, it is easy to see that the fish really is not a big part of the book and the story of Jonah. It's mentioned only a few times in the whole book and in very brief sentences. So if Jonah isn't just about... So if, sorry, if Jonah just isn't about a disobedient prophet being swallowed by a fish, then what is it about? Well, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look into that and we're going to discover that Jonah is not a story about a big fish but it's a story about a big God. Would you allow me to pray to this big God uh, now before we dive in? Let's pray. God, you are good. You are huge and you have all things in your hands. Thanks that you do. Thanks that you do have all things in your hands. Lord, as we launch into this story, would you speak? Would your spirit move in us and may we experience you in your word in a new way this morning? God, thanks that you hear us, love us, and lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we only read the first chapter of Jonah this morning, and it only paints just a tiny part of the whole picture. I actually would really have loved to have read the whole four chapters this morning, but we don't have all morning. So, please have your Bibles handy, as we will be jumping around a little bit in the book of Jonah. Now, as we only read the one of four chapters this morning, I thought we'd give a brief overview of the whole story. So we just read that God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach against it. Now, the Ninevites were the enemies of Israel. Nineveh was not a nice place to go if you're an Israelite. Now, I've heard it said that the story of Jonah being told to go to Nineveh uh, to, to uh, is comparable to asking a Jew in the 1940s to go to Nazi Germany and to tell them that what they were doing was wrong. It was no small thing that God was asking Jonah to do. Now, it's easy to see Jonah as a, as a bad person, or like Marty said, doing the wrong thing sometimes, but I think in reality, 
He's not any different from us. Jonah did what most of us would do in a situation like this. Pathway kids or youth, or even those young at heart, what sort of feelings do you get when I sketch this picture? Let's say that someone said a really mean thing about you that's not even true during lunchtime at school. Or maybe someone posted something mean about you on Snapchat. Now, sadly, I think everyone can think of a time where we've been hurt by someone. So imagine with me now that that person that's hurt you by saying these mean things now needs your help. Maybe they need help because they're stuck on top of the monkey bars. Maybe they can't do that maths assignment, so they ask you to help them. Now, just remember, this is the person who was mean to you just yesterday. How do you feel now that you've been asked to help them? Shout out some answers. What do we got, kids? Someone real means asked you to help them. Anything? How do you feel, Marty? Not too sure? You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to help them, would you? Okay, yeah, but I think we get the picture. It would be hard to help someone who's been really mean to us. So I think that Jonah felt some of these things. He knew it was going to be hard. He knew it was going to be tricky. And he didn't really want to help these people because they were so mean to not just him, but his whole country, his whole nation. So I think Jonah felt these things. You know what he did? He ran. He ran for it. Jonah flees and gets on a boat going in the complete, basically the complete opposite direction of where God asked him to go. Now, God actually asked him to head northeast, so I put on the map here, a bit hard to see, but if you are, just pretend we're in Devonport, right, because we are, if you head northeast for about five to 600 kilometres, it'll get you pretty close to Canberra. So that is where Jonah was supposed to go, supposed to go from Devonport to Canberra, because God told him to go there, right, that's the distance. Where did he go? He headed directly west for about... Uh, 3,200 kilometres. So where that little red X is off the western, southwestern tip of Australia, that's where he would have gone. Like, you can definitely see there is a huge difference here in where he was supposed to go into where he actually went. Jonah was running from God. He wanted to go as far away from Nineveh as he could. So as we read, on the boat to Tarshish, God sends a storm. Jonah tells the sailors that it's his fault and that they should throw him overboard which they reluctantly and eventually do. The storm is stilled and all the sailors rejoice and praise God. They acknowledge God as the one true God and make a sacrifice to him. These sailors become Christians. Now, after this is where the fish comes in. There's just one brief sentence and Evan's going to read that for us. Jonah 1 verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Well done. Thanks, Evan. So that is the last verse of chapter 1. So that's chapter 1 summarised. Chapter 2 consists of a prayer that Jonah prayed inside the fish. God commanded the fish to then vomit Jonah up onto dry land. It's kind of gross. And Jonah 2 is done. All right, let's look at chapter 3. God once again tells his prophet Jonah 
to go to Nineveh. Now, Jonah can't really say no this time, can he? So off he goes to Nineveh. So upon reaching Nineveh, which, by the way, is a huge city in its time, there is a little bit of debate about actual population here, but some say it was 120,000 people in total who lived in Nineveh, or it was even as much as 600,000. There's some debate. But either way, it is a big city. So that, and we're told that it would take three days to walk from one side to the other, from one boundary to the other. So Jonah, he travels for one day into the city. If it takes three days to get across, if you travel one day in, you're pretty close to the middle of the city. And here he says one of the world's shortest sermons. It's actually uh, only five words in the original um, Hebrew text, but in English it's eight. He says this, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So this, the shortest sermon ever, caused a huge change in the city of Nineveh. It is likely that Jonah did elaborate on these words, but we just aren't told any detail. So everyone, from the king to the cows, was convicted of their evil. And yep, I said cows. For some reason, the uh, animals and livestock are dragged into all this. and I don't really understand why. But they, the people of Nineveh, repented and they fasted, and they called upon God urgently. I've got another reading now. In Jonah 3 verse 9, the king of Nineveh says, Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Thanks, Kayla. Well done. You're a little bit taller than Evan. (laughs) So God listened to the Ninevites when they said they were sorry. He turned aside his wrath and chose to not wipe out the entire city. The people of Nineveh turned to God and repented. They said sorry. Here is where the kids' Bible story often ends. Most of them completely leave out chapter 4 of Jonah. So chapter 4 gives details about how Jonah feels about the whole thing. He is super, super mad at God. It's here that we see why Jonah ran in the first place. So in verse 2 of chapter 4, Jonah says, and I'm paraphrasing here, I knew you would do this, God. Ah, You are so full of grace, compassion and love. I did not want you to save the Ninevites. And I just knew that you would do this. That's why I tried to run away. The Ninevites are stinkers and they don't deserve to be forgiven. The rest of chapter 4 shows how God patiently continues to teach Jonah about his grace and his compassion and his love by having a plant that springs up next to Jonah to provide him with some shade. Jonah loves the plant and he appreciates it a lot. However, God sends a worm to eat it. Now the plant dies and Jonah loses his shade. We see in Jonah yet again throwing a tanty and God yet again showing grace, compassion and love to Jonah. Now the book ends in a very bizarre way. Now the last words we hear from Jonah are these. I'm Brooke. Jonah, chapter 4, verse 9. I am so angry, I wish I was dead. God responds, thanks Brooke, God responds to Jonah's outburst with a question. And that's it. 
That's the end of the book. The book literally ends with a question mark. So, did anyone notice how much of Jonah and the story of Jonah was not about a fish? There is so much more going on here than just that. I think chapter 4, which is nearly always left out of the kids' stories, tells us the most about what's going on here. It's in chapter 4 that we see why Jonah ran from God. Even though his assignment was most certainly a death sentence, he wasn't scared and running away in fear. We see what it is, what it was in his response to God in verse 2. Jonah knew that the people he hated would be shown grace. He knew that they'd be shown compassion and love by God. Now let's look at the weird story about the leafy plant in chapter 4. Jonah went up on the hill outside the city to watch what would happen. Jonah wanted the city to be levelled, for God to act and wipe out Jonah's enemies. In fact, not just Jonah's enemies, but the whole of the Israelites' enemies. But instead, what did God do? God relented. He chose to preserve the nation of Nineveh because they repented of their sin and evil. Which can raise questions like, does God change his mind? Now, I'm not going to go into that here. If you want to chat about this, find Etienne. He'll gladly tell you all you need to know about this. <laughs> anyway, to teach Jonah a lesson, God causes the leafy plant to grow up and to shelter his very cranky and agitated prophet. So the shade was a welcome relief to Jonah, but it didn't last long. The next morning, God sent a worm. Now, who knows what this literally means, but God calls the plant that he may grow in the first place to wither and die. Jonah's shade was gone. Now, Jonah's reaction to this tells us the condition of his heart. Jonah did nothing to cause that plant to grow, yet he was so mad when it was taken from him. God uses this example to teach Jonah and us a lesson. Let's read verses 9 to 11 of chapter 4 now. So the plant has just died and Jonah is pretty cranky about it. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Thanks, Kayla. And that's the end of the book of Jonah. It, like I said earlier, it ends in a question mark. Weird, hey? So we can see a little bit of Jonah's heart here. He didn't think the Ninevites deserved God's grace or God's love or God's compassion. He didn't want them to be forgiven. He saw them as unforgivable. Too much evil had taken place there and they were beyond the reach of God. He wanted that entire city to be reduced to rubble and smoke. Jonah didn't think the people of Nineveh deserved God's grace. So God uses that plant to illustrate to Jonah and us an important lesson. God gave the jo Jonah the plant purely out of grace. Jonah didn't ask for it and he didn't earn it. He didn't cultivate the soil, he didn't plant the seed or do anything to cause that plant to grow. God did it. God showed Jonah grace. 
Jonah was the recipient of God's grace in the way that he appreciated and welcomed the shade that it offered. And even though Jonah did nothing to deserve the plant or did anything to make it grow, he was also incredibly angry when it was taken from him. Jonah was so happy to take the grace from God, but he was not happy for the Ninevites to receive it. God says he has the right to show concern for the Ninevites. After all, he created them. God loves them. And God doesn't want them to be far from him. Surely Jonah can't decide who should receive God's grace and who shouldn't. All right, turn your imaginations on with me here for a minute. Let's imagine for a minute the world has ended. Don't get all grim with me, just bear with me. We believe as Christians there is more to life than 80 or so, or 97 in Nell's case, years on earth. Knowing Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was for us and the forgiveness of all of our sin, we believe we can look forward to eternity spent with God one day. So imagine yourself walking around in heaven and for the sake of this illustration, please put all preconceived ideas into the front of your mind. Think clouds, think brightly lit, mostly white and then put some sort of vacant smile on your face. So in this illustration, imagine that the heavens consist of neighbourhoods in the clouds. Imagine a long street with neat little houses dotted along it. So you find yourself in heaven it's the first morning there and you wander. And when I say wander, I mean in, you're in heaven, right? So it's more like a, a skip or a, a light skipping motion maybe. So with your weightless skipping motion, you head towards your front door to check things out. As you put your hand on the front door to open it, you look through the window and you see your neighbour. He's leaning on the fence and he's waving at you. He's clearly keen to have a chat with you, thinking about all this. Now ask yourself this question. Who would you not want as your neighbour in heaven? Who would you be just disappointed to have next door? So some really far-flung ideas might come to mind quickly, like Adolf Hitler or Vladimir Putin. Can quickly, they can quickly spring to mind. But let's just bring it a little bit closer to home. Maybe it's that schoolyard bully who said mean or untrue things about you. Maybe it's that person who made you look silly in front of your friends on Snapchat. Maybe someone who did something to you or your family that you find really hard to forgive. What if it was someone that you loved who abandoned you? What about that person who ripped you off in a business deal? Or maybe even someone who just broke something of yours? So we have all been hurt by people before. That much is certain. I've been hurt by people. You have been hurt by people. What if that person who hurt you was your neighbour in heaven? What if God chose to show compassion and forgive that person for whatever they did? How does that make you feel? Now clearly this illustration is a little bit ridiculous, but it did make me stop and think about who it is that I struggle to love. Thoughts like this came into my mind. Am I okay with God showing grace to those I find hard to love? People who have said horrible things about me, who've said who've hurt people I love, they've hurt me personally. Or maybe uh, some of the blokes that I've encountered in my old job that make my blood boil because they treat their wives or girlfriends so selfishly, just like they're a toy that they can enjoy. Now, I don't harbour bitter thoughts against those guys or want them to burn in hell. No way. I'm simply saying that there are people that I find very hard to love, people I don't naturally think it would be okay for God to show grace to. I suspect there are people like that in your life too. 
I think Jonah would have been pretty upset if in heaven he found himself living next door to the king of Nineveh, the guy who ruled the most evil city, the leader of the enemies of Jonah's nation. I wonder if we all have a particular person or people group or characteristic that we just don't want God to show grace to. Who would you not want to have as your neighbour in heaven? What did we see in today's story though? God doesn't care if Jonah likes the Ninevites or not. God's grace went beyond what Jonah thought. This was Jonah's problem, not God's. God's grace knows no boundaries. God's love and forgiveness extends beyond any border. And God's grace goes way beyond who we think should have it or not. Now the people of Nineveh were just as deserving of God's grace and compassion and love as Jonah was. Think of those people that you don't like or find hard to love. They deserve God's grace just as much as you do. You might think, I'm not as bad as those other people, though I never did such and such. I never stole money from my business partner. I don't bully people at school. Maybe you're right. Maybe you haven't done those things. But you know what? You still don't deserve God's grace and forgiveness. No one does. No matter how wonderful you think you might be, you are not good enough for God. The bar is high. God requires perfection, and rightly so, because he himself is perfect. Think of a perfect white sheet. If anything, even the tiniest bit dirty touches it, there will be a blemish. It will make it not perfect anymore. It doesn't matter if it's really dirty or just a tiny bit dirty. The sheet is no longer perfect. You're not perfect, I'm certainly not perfect, and we are like a dirty rag when compared to God's perfect, blemish-free, pure white sheet. God is perfect, we are not. The Ninevites were dirty, Jonah was dirty, we are dirty, all of humanity is dirty. One more reading from young fella here. Again, my name is Evan. You're still Evan? Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Romans 3, verse 23. Says, for all have sinned and for all of the glory of God. Thanks, Evan. So it's not just the Ninevites who have fallen short in Jonah's case. But Jonah has too. It's not just the people you don't like or find hard to love that have fallen short of God. It's you and me too. For all have sinned and fall glory of the sh- short of the glory of God. It doesn't end there though. God doesn't just say, suffer in your jocks, you filthy sinners. He loves us way more than that. His grace extends beyond anything we can imagine. He sent his son Jesus to earth to serve, to teach and love, to ultimately die on the cross as that perfect sacrifice for our mess, to rise again and conquer sin, shame and Satan. Jesus is perfect. Jesus takes our filthy rags, washes them perfectly clean and removes, us from, uh, removes from us guilt and condemnation. So when we put our faith in Jesus and believe what he did was for us, we are seen as perfect in Christ. We are not perfect We are still dirty and sinful, but God sees us as he sees his son because Jesus 
washes us clean. So when God sees our bit of cloth, it doesn't matter whatever blemishes are on it, supposed big or small sins are no problem, as Jesus took it upon himself to wash us clean. We are made spotless, thanks to Jesus. So this forgiveness, like the plant that grew over Jonah to provide its shade, is a gift of grace. Jonah did not deserve the shade. Nineveh did not deserve God's forgiveness. You don't deserve Jesus' sacrifice, and nor do the people you find hard to love. And that's what grace is. Grace is undeserved, unmerited, unwarranted, and amazing. So this this whole story paints Jonah in a pretty bad light, really. I doubt, actually, that anyone wants to be like Jonah. Yes, he had a crazy experience with the giant fish, but he had a rotten attitude. Yes, the Ninevites were mean and Israelites' enemies, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. God's grace is bigger and it stretches further than we can ever imagine. We all have people that we struggle to love. Maybe we just avoid them or give them the silent treatment. Maybe we're just plain rude to them. Maybe we even just sort of tolerate them. What if, like in the story of Jonah, God wants to extend his grace to them and use you to do it? Are you okay with that? Who is Jonah to withhold the grace of God from the Ninevites? Who are we to withhold the grace of God from the people we don't necessarily like? God's grace is for him to give. And we ought not to be upset with who he chooses to give it to because each person deserves it as much as the next. Now I think Pathway in the Whole does this really, really well. There are people here on a Sunday morning from all walks of life, not just the Dutch middle class that it once was. There are people of all sorts regularly involved in our small groups and ministries that happen within the Pathway Church. There is no doubt that this grace for all culture runs deep within Pathway. Anyone and everyone is so welcome to wander through the doors and meet our God. It's an awesome part of Pathway and praise God for bringing us this far. So as a whole, it's easy to see good things happening, but I want to get just a little bit closer to home. It's easy to say that church is going well and leave it there, but I want to just press in just a little more. I'll ask the question again. Who do you not want as your neighbour in heaven? Whoever you're thinking of, remember this. They deserve God's grace just as much as you do. We should be a people who with we should not be a people, sorry, that's important, not. We should not be a people who withhold the grace and love from, of God from anyone, whether we like them or not. Don't be like Jonah and try and stand in the way of the gift of grace. As Christ followers, we should seek to embrace it, to be a people of grace and love, especially to those that we don't like. This week, as you interact with all sorts of people, remember God's grace is available just as much to them as it was you. Seek to extend it, not hold it back. So instead of avoiding conversation, why not listen to them? As often, that's what people are actually seeking. Put aside your ideas of who they are and get to know them. As so often, what makes people obnoxious or frustrating is actually something that's hurting them and they don't know what to do with it. Has someone said or done mean things to you? Seek to make it right. Hear them out. Don't just not, don't just not talk to them. Don't be like Jonah. He is no hero. 
God is the hero and always will be. God's grace and love extended beyond Jonah and it extends beyond us. Now I want to close off with a couple of heavy-hitting verses found from 1 John 4 and verses 20 to 21. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have, whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Let us be a people of immense love for all. People who long for others to know God and receive this gift of grace from him, no matter who they are or what they have done to us. That's not always easy. It's definitely not always fun. But it is what we are called by God to do. Let's pray. God, thanks that your love and grace was extended to us. May we be people who extend it further. God, we pray for people here today who don't know you yet. Your grace and love is available for them just as it was to anyone else. No one deserves any more than anyone else, yet you give freely. Would you continue to pour out your grace on us all this morning? Help us seek out ways to love and serve people from all walks of life, particularly those we don't agree with or like very much. Now, we won't always get it right. We will and do make a mess of things very regularly, but your grace is bigger, your forgiveness is deeper, and your love is richer than anything we can imagine. Thanks for who you are, God, and thanks for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. I believe we've got a song.